Welcome to the Wealthsteading Podcast. This is episode 195. Today is July 5th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, I hope you had an awesome time celebrating the 4th of July and more importantly, celebrating your independence. And if you're not financially independent yet, I hope that that's something you reflected on over the long weekend and it's something that's one of your goals that you're working towards. In today's episode, I'm just going to put out some really quick information. I've had some questions about this. I did want to comment on it, and that's about where experts um, or analysts are forecasting the stock market to be over the next 12 months. So I'm going to cover this fairly quickly. I know generally our podcasts usually go, you know, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. I've been receiving a lot of feedback to provide episodes and content on a more frequent basis, even if it's of a a short nature. And so we're going to try that out today. In fact, we'll maybe try it out over the next week or two, see how it goes for me and for you. As always, you can provide me comments at wealthsteading.com. Due to the number of emails I receive from people, I can't guarantee that I'll get back to you specifically, but I do read all those comments and I use that feedback um, to come up with content for future episodes, as well as just you know overall critique of the podcast. And, and by the way, many of you send me information. I really appreciate that. Quick little side note here. I, I call myself an active money manager. And I get compensated for managing uh, people's assets in their portfolios. But in a lot of ways, being a portfolio manager is a lot like being a professional pilot. And what I mean by that is, you know, imagine a pilot that's flying for for Delta or one of the major airlines and they're doing a, a transcontinental flight or flight over the ocean. Although the pilot or the co-pilot and the rest of the crew, you know, they're, they're always paying attention. They're in the cockpit. Uh, you know, probably 99% of that flight, though, from the human element or the human interaction side of it, the pilot and the co-pilot really aren't doing a whole lot. All right, now I know all you pilots there are going to send me feedback telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just talking broadly, maybe using a little hyperbole here. But in general, you get what I'm saying, right? 99% of the flight, things are on autopilot. Everything is um, just status quo, running the way it should be. And the pilot, the co-pilot don't have to have like a white knuckle experience with their hand on the throttle because for the most part, things just go as planned. But the reason you want a very experienced, mature, knowledgeable, and a pilot with a great deal of, of expertise in the cockpit is for that one time out of a million when something goes bad, when an emergency landing needs to take place, or a turkey or a drone gets sucked into one of the engines. I mean, that's the time you need the pilot with the expertise up front. And then you also need them there for you know the critical parts of, of the overall flight, which is the takeoff and the landing, which again is where if there's probably a problem going to occur, that's when it's going to happen, takeoff and landing. Well, being a money manager is much that same way I don't spend my entire day trading stocks or or day trading or anything like that. In fact, over the past 18 months, with my concern about where the market is, where we're all-time highs on the S&P 500 in terms of nominal terms and although not extremely high valuations, certainly valuations above historical norms, and then we are on absolute rock-bottom depression-level interest rate yields. I mean, these are major concerns, and so I have traded very, very infrequently over the past 18 months. 
I bring all this up in this long digression because I was getting to the point where I wanted to thank those of you that send me information. But I do read your comments and I read the, uh, the articles that you send me. And so having, you know, the 10,000 of you out in the audience providing me feedback and information and perhaps, you know, clipping some news articles that I might have missed, I find that as a very valuable resource. So please continue to do that. This was a long, uh, drawn-out way of, of telling you hey, the importance of that and to thank you for it. But I do appreciate it because, you know, although day-to-day I'm extremely busy, I'm not necessarily busy trading stocks. I'm busy studying and trying to interpret what's happening in the marketplace. And your feedback helps me a great deal with it. So I wanted to, to throw that out there. And also, before we get started in the main content of today's episode, I did want to refer you to a podcast that I was recently a guest on. That podcast is called The Wellness Farmer Podcast. I was happy to be invited on there by Ben because um, this is a, a different form than I would normally do, right? It's about wellness and permaculture. Ben happens to be not only a chiropractor, but also a holistic farmer. So he ties the, the two of those together. And so we had a very frank discussion, not so much about uh, finances of things or nuts and bolts of making money, but really on the topic of the relationship between health and wealth. If you're someone that's interested more in maybe alternative forms of medicine or permaculture or you know, holistic farming, definitely give that episode a listen. Again, the uh, title of the podcast is called The Wellness Farmer Podcast. I will have a link uh, to that episode in the show notes. I think you'll like the episode. It's an application of the well-steading lifestyle from a health perspective. So give it a listen. Now, as far as today's topic, you know, where is this market going? We're right now uh, starting the second half of the year, as has been the trend in this market over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. And really, arguably, you can go back all the way to the beginning of 2014. This market has, has been a buy-the-dips market, but it's also been a market that's been extremely range-bound. We can never really get above that high of around 2130 on the S&P 500, which was uh, hit back uh, 2015, somewhere May, July timeframe. So about a year ago, the market hit its top. It hit its historical peak. And although there's been some bumps along the road, most recently, you know, we had about a a 5% uh, drawdown in the market. We had a couple double bottoms at the beginning of the year. We had a couple double bottoms uh, towards the end of last year between August and and September, where we saw the markets go down about 10%, 11%. But the market hasn't stayed in correction territory very long, nor has it gone into what would be a true bear market. This is highly unusual for a market. You hear me preaching this all the time, and it's why I'm extremely cautious. Well, right now, you know, we find ourselves going into the second half of the year. The market is, again, pretty much sitting there unchanged. The S&P 500 is closing out today right around 2,090. That's up for the year, you know, year to date up maybe about 2%. But although this market's trading in a range, it, it can fluctuate extremely from month to month. So right now, with the market being up about 2% year-to-date, you know, you go back just about a week ago, and the market was actually down about 2%. You go back about four or five months ago, the market was down over 8%. It's that volatility that I'm concerned about. You've been hearing me say for a long time that I think the market upside is maybe 5%, where the downside could be as much as, you know, 25% or more. To me, those are not good odds to play. It's why I continue to have only about 30, you know, 35% of my portfolio in assets. 
I want to stick my toe in the water enough to where if the market does go up, if, if it should go up five or six percent, well, maybe I can capitalize on that, although I won't beat the market. Perhaps I'll make at least enough money to compensate for you know, transaction fees, costs, and inflation. On the other hand, if the market falls apart and the market drops down 25%, well, hopefully I'll only lose 6%, maybe less. That's my goal in this very turbulent, uncertain market that we're in right now. And I do want to clarify here. Listen, the market is always uncertain. So I don't want to you know, hide behind that aspect of it. None of us can predict the future. Nobody has a crystal ball. But what worries me about the market we're in, and I'll probably do some follow-up episodes to this because I get a lot of questions about it. And you heard me mention it just earlier in this episode. We are at unprecedented levels in the market. There's never been a time when the central banks have intervened so much into the economy. And I'm not just talking about the Federal Reserve. I mean the global central banks. There's also never been a time when there's been this much government and uh, public and private debt What's happened as a result of that is that we see many stock markets like the one here in the United States, which, which is at, at high valuations and at near all-time historic uh, highs nominally, but at the same time, we see interest rates, which are at rock bottom in many cases, they're in negative rates. This is something that's never occurred in history. And yet the world continues to go on. So I'm not worried about an all-out Mad Max collapse of the global economic system. But what I am concerned about is a good old-fashioned business cycle, bear market correction, something we haven't experienced for over seven years. The reason I keep hammering on this topic and bringing it up, I know probably some of you are sick of hearing it, but... These are uncharted times and people have no clue the ramifications of it or what could actually happen if this rubber band snaps. I don't know if it will. I don't know when it will. As far as the history of the American stock market, uh, there has always been a period over five to say seven, eight years when there's been a significant 25% or more correction in the stock market. And so to think that that's going to occur next week, next month, over the next 24 months, I think that's reasonable and I think that's something you should prepare for or at least anticipate. Ah, but I digress. Anyway, so that takes me to where we're at right now. And although I'm right now preaching a message of caution and I don't want to say gloom and doom, but I am definitely expressing a concern and a caution. I'm not waving a red flag, but I'm certainly flashing a yellow warning sign. And what I want to point out in today's episode, and this is uh, you know, many of the questions I've gotten from you and some things that are in the, the recent news, is that the overall analysts are not as pessimistic as I am. And in fact, they're forecasting over the next 12 months that the stock market, the S&P 500 in particular, will grow perhaps as much as 10%. And that would take the S&P 500 from where it's at today at around you know, 2090. They're forecasting that by next summer, so June, July of 2017, the S&P 500 will be somewhere around 2300. Now, I don't think that's impossible. I don't think that's out of a line. I don't think that these people are crazy. But what I will say is that these analysts are always overly optimistic. If you go back over the last, oh, at least five years, if not more, you'll see that they always overestimate on the high side, you know, from anywhere from say one and a half to 2%. It's really an occupational hazard of their job to be overly optimistic. Uh, you know, these analysts and, and people that work for the, the large banks and the firms on Wall Street, they want to promote the good times. 
a lot of the sources of their revenue come from growth in the market and perpetuating the expectation that things are going to get better. I mean, why would you invest in the stock market if you think it's going to be lower next year than it is today? Well, you wouldn't. And, you know, the source of most of these people's paychecks, either directly or indirectly, come from advances in the stock market. So I don't want to say they're corrupt or I don't want to say that they're, they're uh, biased, it, but it is an occupational hazard. All of us, no matter who we are, to, to one degree or another, our opinions are at least partially formed from the source of where we derive our income. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's human nature. So we do need to be cautious of that. And again, over the last you know, maybe five to 10 years, these guys are demonstrably overly optimistic by at least you know, one and a half to 2%. Now, in the past 12 months, they've been even more wildly optimistic. As you've heard me say many times, the, the major economists, the Federal Reserve, everybody since, since really 2009 has been talking about the U.S. economy hitting an escape velocity. And while we've definitely seen the stock market do that, I mean, we saw the stock market recover extremely well since the lows of 2009, although a lot of that was just making up to where it had been in, in 2007 and 2008, um, but there were some really good years. The one that stands out the most to me was 2013. That's really, I would say, off, off the cuff here with, without digging into my research, but I would say that that's probably the only year in the past seven years where we actually saw some real growth in the stock market. Before then, it was really just catching up to where it had been, and then since 2013, it's vacillating back and forth. We hit 1,800 on the low side, 2,100 on the high side, nothing really changes. Well, what I find sort of amusing is that none of the analysts that I'm reading are forecasting anything better than 2.5% growth next year in terms of real growth in the economy. In fact, they're very apprehensive because of political trends and anti-globalism, anti-establishment, um, all those kind of you know, a la Donald Trump type concerns that they may have. They're worried about protectionist tariffs. They're worried about the country perhaps going into a recession if the wrong person gets elected, you know, yada, yada, yada. So none of them are looking at the overall real economy hitting an exponential growth rate next year. But what they are forecasting is that the market will go up 10%. To me, that's a little bit questionable, particularly when we look at where the valuations are today. So over the next 12 months, could the S&P 500 close at you know 2300 Well, absolutely. It positively could. I'm just skeptical that we're going to get there. I look at that, you know, these same analysts were off by about 10% in their growth projections last year. Perhaps going forward, they won't be off by a full 10%. Maybe they'll only be off by 5%, in which case would put the, the S&P 500 at around, you know, call it 2200 to me, that's a more likely scenario. Um, again, because they're not really pinpointing where they think all this growth is going to come. Uh, let, me, let me walk that back. They are pinpointing it. I mean, they always come up with numbers. I just don't see any basis of reality in the actual numbers that they're forecasting. Um, they're really taking a cautious approach to this and not sticking their neck out. They're saying that the best performing sector is going to be healthcare and the worst performing sector is going to be the energy sector. Those are pretty safe bets overall. I just question the, um, the nuts and bolts of their numbers, and I don't see where the earnings growth is going to come from. I think at best we see corporate earnings stop declining and, and you know either staying where they're at or even marginally going up a little bit. But the fact that a lot of our earnings valuations are at you know, 20 times earnings 
for the S&P 500 to get all the way up to 2300, you'd not only have to have improvement in earnings, but you'd have to have that same historically high level evaluation. That's what I'm skeptical about. Now, the other aspect of this is obviously the whole wild card that no one has a clue what's going on. Uh, we are going through some tumultuous times here with the, the presidential election cycle in the United States. The thought process is, is that the Wall Street money, the Goldman Sachs money is on Hillary Clinton. If she gets in, they pretty much think they're going to have the status quo of what they want. The wild card being if Donald Trump gets in, nobody's really sure what he's going to do. Wall Street doesn't like uncertainty. I think that you can make a case either way, if either one of them get in, that the market could go up or down 10% one way or the other. I mean, it's a matter of buy the rumors, sell the news. And regardless of the fact as to who's in the White House next year, there are real serious fundamental problems with not only the United States economy, but the overall global economy. And I think that no matter who gets into office, uh, we are going to see higher deficits, we're going to see a, a big push for backing off on the traditional quantitative easing that the central banks have done and see more of what Ben Bernanke had called helicopter money. That's going to be money that's dispersed directly into the economy through direct infrastructure spending as well as some type of tax reform where you know people get more money back in their paychecks. Uh, we're, we're seeing this already take place in Canada. I think there's no doubt that regardless, Republican or Democrat next year in the White House, we're going to see the same thing here just because of the overall anemic and, and sluggishness in the global economy. And the, the pessimist side of me says that when everything else fails, we could be headed for some military conflicts. Uh, you know, whenever things aren't working out, it, it's always easy to point fingers and find a scapegoat somewhere else. That usually results in a war. That worries me, ah, but that's a, a topic for another day. In any case, the big thing to watch this week, and this is, again, important because we're going into the second half of the year, earnings announcements are going to be coming out starting next week, and so that's definitely going to have a short-term impact on where the market goes. There's a lot of window dressing taking place where professional money managers on Wall Street are making those mid-year adjustments to their portfolios, but the big thing you want to watch for this week is the jobs number that comes out on Friday. If that number comes in below 100,000 new jobs created, I think you'll hear some wailing and gnashing of teeth on Wall Street, and that could put us into a summer slump on the stock market, even more so than what we saw from the Brexit. Also, as we go into uh, earnings next week, as you start hearing forward guidance, expect these CEOs to come out and start blaming the Brexit on how that's going to uh, present themselves with the headwinds. And basically, uh, you know, they'll blame all their problems and incompetence on the Brexit. So watch for that. In any case, that's just a quick update for you. Again, thank you for all your comments and feedback. Until the next episode, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.